Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Miss Terry, do you mind continuing to play for just a moment while our children's church meets, meets over to the left? My left, your right at the Welcome Center. Thank you, guys. God bless y'all. Keith, Winston, thank you, Marty, leading us. We'll give just a moment for Children's Church to meet over there and get ready to head back to Children's Church, and we'll get started. I want to encourage you while they're making their way to go ahead and open your Bible to the New Testament book of Colossians, where we've been for quite some time, and find chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4. You find your place. We'll be ready to go here in just a moment. What a wonderful scene to imagine of what it's going to be like when we're in the presence of Jesus and we'll ever be in the presence of the Lord. I just sometimes uh, use my sanctified imagination and get to thinking about what that day is going to be like. And I've about figured this out that there's no way this side of heaven I can even begin to comprehend the glory that we will experience. And as Paul said, the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen. I really believe that. So glad to be here in the house of God. I'm glad you're here today. And just looking forward to all that God has to say to us uh, from his word. Colossians chapter 4. And if you would find verse 2. If you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word. I'd appreciate you doing that so much. As we honor God's word. Last week we began this section uh, verses 2 through 6 we covered verses 2 3 and 4 and Lord willing we'll cover verses 5 and 6 today but I want to read it all to stay in proper context together Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 here's what the word of God says it says continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make manifest, make it manifest as I ought to speak. That's where we concluded last week, and here's where we'll pick up today. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech also be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one father in the strong name of jesus i humbly pray and seek your face this morning realizing that i'm nothing but you're everything realizing i have no answers but you have them all and i pray your word would speak deep into our souls convict us of sin draw us to repentance and make us more like Jesus every day is my prayer. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, uh, we began studying this section, as I said. And as I was thinking, as Keith was talking there a moment ago, and I talking about, hey, you know, we're going to sing this song, kind of get a preacher fired up. My mind went back to something, Keith. Uh, when I was a young pastor, I went to uh, lead in a ordination service for another pastor who was taking his first church and uh, at the beginning in the back the moderator of the ordination service said preacher you're going to be first he said how many songs will it take to kind of get you going <laughs> and I said to him I said that would be zero <laughs> and, and he said what do you mean every preacher needs a song or two to get him going I said well I understand what you mean and I said but here, here's what I want to say to you and I said this to my brother and I said 
The day that the darling Son of God hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying for my sins, is not motivation enough for me to stand and declare the unsearchable riches of the Word of God, then I am in a mess. I need to repent and get right because if I'm waiting on a song, and I say this to you about worship, if you're waiting on something to motivate you other than Jesus Christ, you'll come up empty a lot. Amen? I love the songs, and these songs do stir my soul, and that's wonderful, and I'm grateful, but we cannot depend nor wait upon that we must find our motivation through what we talked about this morning in Sunday school, that relationship with the Son of God. Amen? And that God the Father would make that path for us. So, hey, I want you to know I come ready, primed, pumped, and got the pull start going before I get here. Amen? So I'm glad to be here today to share that with you. So we began dealing with this section of chapter 4 that deals with the devotion of the child of God, and we're calling this a demonstration of devotion. We know that every child of God is commanded to demonstrate before the Lord and before the world that we live in a life that is fully devoted to His Lordship. Now, when we studied last week, verses 2, 3, and 4 this chapter, it dealt with the prayer life of the Christian, and we discovered that the Bible teaches every Christian to have a focused prayer life. We are commanded early in that text to continue earnestly in prayer, which means is that we are to cry out to God unceasingly and refusing to let go. Amen? That's what we learned last week. And not only should we live a life of prayer focused on the Lord Jesus, but as we read on here in verses 5 and 6, they speak to us about that which is produced from our lives when we do live a focused prayer life. In verses 2, 3, and 4, Paul is in his prayer closet. and Every good child of God ought to have that place. Amen? But in verses 5 and 6, he moves out of the prayer closet and into the marketplace. He moves even beyond the walls of the church house and says, this is what that relationship with God ought to do for you and lead you to do. And every soul winner today has two major areas in life in which he operates. Everyone who seeks to win souls for God operates in the hidden life of prayer and they operate in the public life of witness. It's never enough to just spend all of our time in the prayer closet we must flesh out that which we hear from God. We must go out to where the people are if we're ever going to make an impact for God and influence them toward a relationship with Jesus Christ. So just as much as we must guard our prayer life, we must also guard our public life. So I'm going to talk real fast this morning, okay? And it, it, I heard Keith say this too, and he might have heard the same preacher I heard say it once is I'm going to need you to listen real aggressively this morning. Amen? And really pay close attention because I'm going to talk real fast. I've got a lot to get in in a short time, but I'm going to get as far as I can. But I really, my heart is full this morning. Amen? Because I deeply want to help you. So as we talk about this demonstration of devotion, we move from the focused prayer life to a faithful public life. See, what believers are gives credibility to what they say. 
I can tell you all the Bible truth and I can give you all the facts of Scripture. I can quote Scripture from memory and all these different things, but it will not affect you and your relationship with God until you see that it's done more than filled my head. It has filled my heart and it has changed my life. See, wisdom involves properly evaluating circumstances and making godly decisions. This is exactly what Paul was talking about when he prayed earlier in chapter 1 where he said this in verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Paul loved the church. People who have been called of God to pastor people love the church because we love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loved the church so much that he went to the cross to purchase us from the slave markets of sin. So believers are to exhibit a carefully planned, consistent, and righteous Christian life. And he speaks of this in a few ways. The first way he speaks of this is, is about our walk. Look what he said. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. How important is my walk of wisdom and my Christian testimony to those who are outside? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul tells us. I believe he's very serious when he spoke to the church concerning their behavior away from the rest of the congregation out in the world. Great damage is done to the cause of Christ when believers' lifestyles are a contradiction of what we say we believe when it's fleshed out in how we truly live. Many believers live foolish lives before an unbelieving world, and there are several ways that we're able to do that. And here's one. One is it can do that materially. Notice what Paul said to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 Verse 7 and following. Paul said, Timothy, we brought nothing into this world and it's certain that we will carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with those, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. One way we can live foolishly before the world in our walk of this world is that we might live foolishly materially. Now let me say this to you about material blessings. It is not a sin to be blessed materially. Amen? It is not a sin for a person to be wealthy. Where it becomes sin is where the person will worship their wealth instead of God. Where it becomes sin is where we just have an insatiable appetite for more and we never learn to be content with a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know as I'd gotten older, I would look around and I, you know, I would see things when I turned 30 and 40 and now after 50, which I've gotten past all that now. But I remember thinking sometimes, you know, wow, you know, God, I, 
I, I haven't accomplished anything. I haven't made a difference. And I'd have the devil, he'd whisper in my ear, boy, he does from time to time, boy, you're just a washed up old preacher. Nobody cares what you've got to say. They're not listening to you. It's not doing any difference in them. You're not what you once was. You really don't have enough fun. You need to quit taking things to see. I just hear all that. And, I, and one time the devil tried to sell me on one. He tried to sell me on one. I saw this quote that said this. It says, you need to stop jumping oceans for people who won't jump a mud hole for you <laughs> I've met a lot of people like that I've crossed oceans for people that wouldn't leap a mud hole for me and the devil said you know what you, you, that really needs to be the motto of ministry but you know what I'm grateful to God that he's not the voice of truth I'm grateful that the voice of truth has told me he's a liar and I want you to hear me. I will not live by that theology because here's what the devil says. Protect yourself. Keep everybody in arm's length. Here's what Jesus said. Keep crossing oceans, boy. It don't matter if they won't jump a mud hole for you. Keep jumping the oceans because I jumped on a cross for you. They put me in a bar of tomb and I got up three days later to conquer death, hell, and the grave. Don't you worry about what your sacrifice cost you. Look what the sacrifice of God son calls him look what he was willing to do for us we cannot go by some kind of theology that we will not allow ourselves to be vulnerable that we might get hurt we got to keep jumping the oceans oh god help us today god help us while well, i look around i say you know paul told timothy that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil not just any i began to think about god i know in people's eyes not many of us are wealthy. But I began, and the Lord Spirit of God spoke to me one day, said, Son, I want you to add up everything that you have. The money can't buy and death can't take away. And then you'll see how rich you are. You'll learn to be content. Paul said this too. He said, I've learned at whatever state I'm in, the book of Philippians, that I've learned to be content. I can remember when God moved my family away from this area a long time ago, and I remember this is the only home I'd ever known. God moved my family away, and we didn't know anybody. We, our kids went to schools. We didn't know the teachers. Uh, our, 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 we went to the church, and we didn't know anybody in the community. And sometimes that was a blessing because I didn't know nothing. Man, I just preached the Word of God, and I'd catch it at the back door week after week. But uh, that was okay. But I remember looking at my girls one time, and we were going through a rough patch, and I said to them, I said, you know what I've learned about home? I said, what makes home home is because y'all are here. And we learn to lean on Jesus. We learn to lean on each other. And God taught us some wonderful things and called us to just remember that what we have, that, that money can't buy and death can't take away. I thank God for a happy marriage. I thank God for my, my daughters. And I thank God for their relationship with Jesus. I thank God for my eternal salvation. I thank God for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Money can't buy it. Death can't take it away. And God reminds us of his faithfulness to us. And he reminds us to stay faithful to him and he helps us and allows us to live an abundant life of blessing with things that are much more material than just stuff we can live foolishly materially we can also live foolishly liberally <laughs> what is a liberal person a guy told me this one time said you've got conservative Christians and you've got liberal Christians I really don't buy into that. I think you've got conservative Christians and people in need of a good dose of Holy Ghost salvation is what you got, amen? I really, because when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you're conservative in your theology, and the only place the Bible tells you you can be liberals in your giving, amen? 
See, a liberal person is one who lives without any convictions or bedrock principles in their life. I shared with you some time ago, and I'm sure all of you remember it, and you've got it written in your Bibles, but in case you didn't, I want to share with you again some examples of how liberal theology has made its way into our churches. The easiest way for it to make its entrance into a church is through this stand right here. Sometimes it might make its entrance through a Sunday school class. Sometimes it might make its entrance some other way. But liberal theology has invaded our churches, and in most cases it has been through the avenue of the pulpit. And I'm going to share with you a few of those examples that I learned from Junior Hill some time ago. He said liberal theology produces three things. One, it produces grace without guilt. I can't tell you the times in ministry people have said, you know, uh, preacher, I, I'm not coming back to this church because you make me feel so guilty. Well, I want you to know my heartbeat is not to make you feel guilty, but my heartbeat is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, present the true word of God, and if the word of God and the spirit of God brings guilt and conviction upon your soul, it is a movement from heaven and not from this man. And what God is doing to you is he's not making you feel guilty to drive you away. He is showing you your guilt before him so that you can experience his amazing grace. But so many times in our world today, through our pulpits, we have this message that grace is available even if there is an absence of guilt. Let me just say this to you, and Junior Hill said it best. The thing that makes grace so amazing is the sin that made it so necessary. Amen? The thing that makes grace so amazing is the sin that made it so necessary. If we're not careful, liberal theology will invade our churches through pulpits that tell people they can get born again without repenting. Friend, I want you to know where there is no repentance, there is no salvation, but where there is repentance, there is eternal salvation for the glory of God. Amen? So there's grace without gift. There's another way, and that is when there is doxology without theology. I want you to know, and sometimes this gets into our worship, it gets into the debates about music and things like that, and I want you to hear me, hear me clearly. I believe that where the problem is is not the styles of music. I believe where the problem gets in sometimes is when we do not realize that the music we sing should emphasize the word that we preach. It should be a complimentary, not a competition. Amen? I've heard people say, well, I'll go to that church because I like the music. Don't care for the preacher very much. That might be why you're here. I don't know. Well, but I've heard this before. The preacher's not, he's kind of subpar, but the music, and I've heard the flip-flop people talking. Well, I don't really like the music, but I, I really like the preacher. That's very uncommon. Most of the time, it's the other way, right? But, but here's the deal. When there is a complimentary work of the music and the message, then there is great benefit that can be born for the people of God because here's the danger is when we teach people that it's all about emotionalism without spiritualism. There is nothing wrong with being emotional about Jesus. <laughs> Say that one more time, brother. Look. There is nothing wrong with getting emotional about Jesus. 
I just got to believe based on the word of God that he got real emotional about you. When he prayed that his sweat became his drops of blood before the Father in Gethsemane. Oh, he got emotional. There's nothing wrong with being emotional, but if the basis of your relationship with God is just an emotional experience without spiritual transformation, then you, my friend, are in for a mess. Grace without guilt. Liberal theology. Doxology without theology. <laughs> Liberal theology. And then there's another one. Is when imagination <laughs> replaces revelation. Let me tell you something to be aware of. If you ever hear a preacher say this, I don't have any Bible evidence to prove what I'm going to say, but this is what I believe. Run! Run like a chicken in a slaughterhouse. Amen? I don't have any Bible evidence to prove that this is fact, but it's what I believe. Really? Well, then now you know what that means? There, there's, a, there's a real fancy word for that. It's a Greek word. It's called hogwash. Amen? In the Hebrew word, baloney, right? But... No, 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 listen to me. We're living in a day where imagination is replacing revelation. We have before us the revealed, inspired, God-breathed Word of God. We have this in our hands. We have the Old Testament that teaches us about the law. We have the New Testament that teaches us about grace. We have the wonderful life of Jesus put in display for us on the paper. But yet so many people today are going and falling victim to liberal theology where the preacher says, you know, I, the, if, the, if the Bible condemns it, you know, that's up to God. But over here at our place, you know, we just choose to love and smile. You know, we don't get into that judging people stuff. Well, I want you to know something, ladies and gentlemen. I don't have the right to judge your salvation, and I don't. But I want you to know, if you go through this life and you don't make judgments about right and wrong, you're going to be in a mess. And the way you make judgments about right and wrong is if God said it's right, it'll always be right. And if God ever said it's wrong, it'll always be wrong. Amen? Oh, God, help us. Imagination replacing revelation. See, lost people are not looking for someone like them. They're not looking for somebody who does what they already do. Lost people are looking for someone who is different and someone who has been changed. I love what I read about D.L. Moody. Here's what they said about D.L. Moody, that through his preaching, that he literally, God through his preaching, shook two continents for God. Before the internet, before FaceTime, before ChatSnap, I'm telling you, God used a preacher to shake two continents, Britain and America. When I hear those stories, you know what I pray? Oh, God, would you do it again? See, you know, Moody didn't just shake two continents, and God didn't use him to shake just two continents through his preaching, but through the Moody Bible Institute and the Moody Bible Church, it's been said that God used his ministry to shake the world. God help us. You know what they tell me the day he got saved? That it snowed so much the preacher couldn't get there? 
The Sunday school teacher led him to Jesus. How about that? Wow, God help us. Liberally. But there's also a third way, and it's called legalistically. Now, liberalism is very dangerous to our ability to walk in wisdom. But so is legalism. Here's what liberalism says. Liberalism says everybody just do as you please and God will be okay because he's a God of love and he'll just let you do as you please. See, much as liberalism says just do as you please, here's what legalism says. Everybody's got to be just like me. Lord knows I saw a lot of that in my young ministry. Guys won't talk to me today because I'm a liberal compromiser because I just read out of a New King James Scripture. I'm grateful to God that don't make me a liberal compromiser. Amen. I, I just learned a few things along the way. I learned I didn't know near as much as I thought I did. Any of y'all? Anybody? Anybody? Aren't you grateful that God grew you in your progressive sanctification and taught you you didn't know near as much as you thought you did? Did y'all ever say anything out of ignorance? Boy, I have. That's why I said in my first church when they called and said, hey, we found all these old tapes. Would you like them? I said, no. And they said, what do I Burn them. Set them on fire. Well, I mean, get a can of kerosene and have a party. Because there's a lot of things I said out of ignorance, and I, I've repented of so many things. Legalism was choking my life. Legalism was making it unfun to be a Christian. You see, God has not called us to conform to some man-made image of what a follower of Christ is to look like. He has called us to be conformed to the image of his dear son. You read it in Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew and he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Here's a great thought for us and what we need to understand. In the 21st century, when people speak of church growth, they talk about additions. But in the first century, when they spoke of church growth, they talked about multiplication. Now, I learned one thing over here at Cleveland County High School, and I learned a lot of things at Cleveland County High School, but I was not a great math student. So I'm going to tell you I was a wonderful English student, but I know uh, I really wasn't. I need to repent of that. I'm standing in the pulpit telling a lie. But I, I was not. I was not. I, I was a classic underachiever. I didn't try hard. I didn't do the things I needed to do. And, uh, but I want you to know here's one thing I did learn about math is when you add numbers, they go up much faster when you multiply than when you just add. Shocked y'all that I learned all this. It's amazing, right? <laughs> well, you read about that in Scripture in Acts 9.31. Here's what the Bible says. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, was walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and were multiplied. What is the difference? What is the difference between the 21st century church and the 1st century church? I'll tell you, they were walking in the fear of the Lord. I believe the fear of God is so misplaced and totally absent in so many lives today and in so many churches. And that's why we don't walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit because we're not walking in the fear of the Lord. See, they walked it instead of just talking it and they found comfort and peace in the power of the indwelling Spirit of God. See, the early church knew something. They knew something that we must capture in our hearts today. They knew that they were Christ's ambassadors to a lost world. They knew about their ministry, and they knew that their ministry was not just to keep the aquarium, but it was to fish for men. 
They knew that their ministry did not take place inside the walls. They knew that ministry began when they went beyond the walls. They knew that they came together for worship and encouragement and inspiration and adoration and glorification of the Son of God. But they knew that what really mattered was who they were, what they did, and how they behaved when they went through those doors into a lost world. I read this from an African pastor. His name is Morgan Chalulu. I don't know him, but I like what he said. He said, a church that lives within its walls is no church at all. Did y'all hear that? A church that lives within its walls is no church at all. The one thing I love and I see God doing in our ministry here is I see God diversifying what we do to where we don't just do one thing or just do two things, but we have multiple opportunities for people to serve at home, across the street, and around the world. And I believe God is going to increase those opportunities, and I'm even working on some things right now as we get on into the summer that I'll be sharing with you about that I really believe are great opportunities for us to really touch the world. But what we've got to do is make sure that our walk is right and that liberal theology has not invaded our ranks. We are walking with God, not foolishly but wisely. We're not bound by material things. We're not walking with liberal things. And we are not bound by legalism. Let me share something with you, and I want to close with this today. I'm not going to get all this stuff done. It's going to, I'd, I'd be doing you wrong. I want to finish it up later. But I, I just want to share this with you. I've been reading this book that Vance Pittman recently wrote called The Stressless Life. Y'all want one of those? <laughs> but when you read the title, let me emphasize something. When he says stressless, he makes sure he understands he's not talking about stress-free. I don't think it's possible to live stress-free to y'all. If it is, meet at the back door, please share with me. And he talks about in the internet, if you Google how to manage stress, you get a ton of opinions, right? We all need help with that. But there's something he talked about in this chapter, and I shared with our guys in the prayer room this morning that just, it just shook me up, Jonah. Y'all been shook up like Elvis? All shook up. It shook up. If you've not had, if you're a child of God, and God hasn't kind of shook you a little bit lately, I don't know what you're waiting on him to do to get your attention. We're in a world that's in a mess. Y'all know that? Anybody looked at your 401k lately? Don't. Don't. Don't know. It's a depressing look. But here's something that Brother Pittman said that I think really, really something we need to deal with right here at this invitation today. He says, living in fellowship with God means being aware of his presence every moment in our lives. He says, and not just being aware of his presence, but resting and abiding in his closeness and care. Like my friend Bobby said in the prayer room this morning, abide means to stay and hang out, right? He said, it means inviting God into every part of our day, not just by believing he is there, but by communicating with him and fellowshipping with him. See, the reason some people can't really worship much on Sunday is because nothing's happened all week. No communication, interaction with God except when you needed something. And then when you come on Sunday, it's kind of hard to worship because you're trying to generate something that's not there. He said the problem is, and this is, this is the statement that got me. The problem is, is that we treat God like an app. Y'all know what an app is? 
Everybody does. 20 years ago, if you would have said app, I would have said, that's a shortened verb, application. I don't know. But here's what he says, and I want you to listen. You, you give me two minutes here, your life could change forever, okay? He said, the problem is that many of us followers of, God, of Jesus have a God app in our minds. We open the app on Sunday mornings so we can spend time worshiping and learning from God's Word. Then we close it, have a nice lunch, and watch football. We open the God app during our devotional time in the mornings, and then we close it when we're ready to start the rest of our day. And of course, we open the God app when something bad happens so we can pray and ask God for help. Like looking at that 401k, God, you got to do something with this mess, right? I mean, I thought about these parents. I saw parents at the formula aisle yesterday trying to find formula for their child. I remember when our babies were born, there wasn't a shortage of formula. There was just a shortage of money to buy it, amen, right? But I thought to myself, it's one thing to, but they, they were trying to figure out, I thought, God, help us. No, we call on him when something bad happens and wants to ask. He says this, God is not an app that we can open and close. And he's not a box we can keep on a shelf until we need something from him. God is a person. And the only way to know that person and experience his peace is through a genuine relationship that we talked about in Sunday school this morning. Amen. And then he said this. You have the knowledge, but are you putting your knowledge into practice? Some of you ladies and men that were trained to teach school, you went to school a long time. My daughter did the same thing. She got trained to teach school, and she does these things called PD hours. Y'all know what those are, don't you? Professional developmento, right? And so... She goes, gets professionally developed from time to time and takes these other seminars and learns these labs to teach these kids and they blow up stuff and burn stuff and she just has a grand old time with it. But here's the thing. If all you do is get the knowledge, preachers do this, you know that's why they tell us that most seminary students today will never see their first ministry assignment and most will quit within the first five years. But if all we do is go get knowledge, but yet we don't put it into practice, it's not helping us or anybody else. If all we do is from time to time come in on Sunday and get a little professional development... And say, all right, preacher, all right, good big boy, you've got 32 and a half minutes. Bless me if you can. I just want to see if you can do it. Go for it. But yet, when the service is over, what God's word has said to us through our preacher has little or no effect on how we behave beyond the walls. Are we just using God like an app? Are we just you putting him in a box? Saying, you get over here on the shelf, and when I get in trouble, I'll come see you. It's what I tell my doctor, you know. I show up for my annual physical. He says, I hadn't saw you in a while. I said, that's good. 
They said, well, why hadn't I saw you? I said, I don't bother you to something bothers me. It's kind of like Christy, they do the dentist, right? Lost Christy, where is it? Right here. That's how they do the dentist, isn't it? It's been hurting for 18 weeks, but it's Friday afternoon, and y'all need to fix it today. I don't know what I'm going to do. Right? Years and years ago, a couple calls says, hey, it's on a Friday. He says, our, our marriage is falling apart, and we've got to talk to you today. I said, well, okay, what's going I said, I was headed somewhere and I couldn't really turn around. I said, well, what's going on? I said, how long has this been going on? 22 years. <laughs> but if you don't come today, preacher, we're, we're done and, and our blood's going to be on your hands. Pretty much. But it's been going on 22 years. But I, and somehow I'm going to miraculously fix it today. Uh, probably not. Hear, hear me. Don't you think it's time that in our walk we live wisely and not foolishly and we quit treating God as though He belongs to us instead of realizing that it is us who belong always think of the story of Hosea when he went down to the slave market he bought Gomer back when he really didn't have any other need to other than it's what God told him to do and I think of Jesus is all like Gomer. You say, I wasn't as bad as her. I didn't do it. No, no, no. If you committed one sin, made you a sinner. And Jesus purchased us not for us to put the Father on the shelf, but so we could have a relationship with Him. And here's the good thing, too. Not only a relationship with Him, but a relationship with his church. And so that together, we could come together. And we wouldn't find fault in every little thing, but we'd find a reason and a purpose in what God's called us to do. And that God could put all that together. And he could use us to make a difference in the world. Not just in our time, for all time. See, D.L. Moody's been gone a long time. Spurgeon's been gone a long time. A lot of these old Whitfield and McLaren and Edwards and on down the line, they've been gone a long time. But their influence is still felt because they didn't treat God like an app. They had a real relationship Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for what it teaches me. Thank you for how you loved us. God, I repent of the times I treated you like an owl. 
I repented before I got here today and I repented. <laughs> oh God. Times, Father, that I got so wrapped up in what I was doing, wrapped up in what other people thought about me or said about me, or wrapped up in the opinions of others instead of realizing I'm on a mission with you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today who may have fallen prey as I have to just opening my God out, closing it, instead of staying in constant fellowship with you. God, I pray today you'd help them get free of that. I pray, Father, you'd help them realize where they are and realize that this preacher came today to just cast a rope of help and hope. Not a rock to hurt, but a rope to help. To say, come home. Get in the right fellowship that God intends for you to have through Jesus and walk with Him. I pray, Father, for those in this room today that may have never established a relationship with you that don't fully comprehend what we're talking about. It may seem foreign, but, Father, may they realize it through their own repentance today and that they can establish a relationship with you and enjoy abundant life here and the promise and hope of eternal life with you forever. Oh, God, do what only you can do right now. Draw your net. Add to your church. God, we're going to give you praise. In Christ's name. Our heads about, eyes are closed. Let me just remind you. Today the text said walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. He's talking to the church. Oh, church, if we're going to be revived today, it's going to take a spark. You may just be that spark. But it's going to take some folks on their knees calling out to God to send it. If God is going to use this week to touch the lives of little boys and girls for eternity, it's going to take people like me and you on our knees saying, Oh God, use us this week. If you're here today, whatever decisions you need to make, you're a child of God and God would have you to be a part of this fellowship. We invite you to make your decision public today. If you're here today and you're a believer, you had not followed the Lord in believer's baptism and you need to do that today. You make that public. We'll rejoice with you. But whatever decisions you might need to make, I just want to encourage you to follow the Lord. God, we commit this invitation to you. We pray that every life that's changed will be for your glory. God, that you would spark a revival of prayer and a revival of purpose in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand to our feet all across the house. And as God speaks to your heart today, I want to invite you to step into that nearest aisle and come to Jesus when you're ready, Marty.
sing that second. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, way just for a moment Terry is going to play as we prepared for vacation Bible school this evening there's something I always want to do and I know you've been doing this leading up to today but as a family church family I believe it's very important we do that we just soak this thing in calling on God amen so what I want to ask you to do in just a moment we're just going to gather here in the altar together and if God would lead you to come join us we invite you to if not you just pray where you are but we want everybody praying We'd love for you to come and just gather here together. And let's just ask for these things. Lord, you know every child that we're going to have the opportunity to touch this week. And let us walk in wisdom today and this week. And let us walk in wisdom after this week so that we can be a positive influence of the gospel on the lives of young people. And that God would use it not only to touch and ears young people, but families. And that we would constantly be looking beyond the walls. There's too many Baptist country clubs today. We just not one of them not going to be. But that we would constantly be looking beyond the walls to say, God, who, how, when, where will you use us to touch folks with the gospel? In vacation Bible school, some people say, well, it's just an old relic of the past. But I want to tell you. Is still the number one mission opportunity to reach children on any calendar of any church in the nation. There's all sorts of other things you can do, but collectively, this is our number one opportunity to reach children for Christ this week. So Terry's going to play. We're going to give just a moment. If you would, and you come join us, and let's just gather in the altar together, and let's just pray for this week, all right? And let's pray for this opportunity we have, okay? thank you for the millions of people who will be in heaven because of the ministry of Vacation Bible School. I thank you that down through the ages, God, you've used it as a wonderful tool of outreach to communities. Yes, Lord, to bless and instruct and encourage the children under our care, but to reach beyond our walls of those yet to know
And Father, I just pray for this week specifically. God, we don't know what each moment holds. But God, I believe that you're going to send little boys and little girls from all around this community through these halls and into our fellowship hall to eat pizza and chicken nuggets and all that kind of stuff and to hear stories about missionaries and to hear a Bible story every night and learn songs and make new friends. Lord, we just believe all that's going to fixed. But Father, we pray for the salvation of children while their hearts are tender before this old wicked, rotten world seeks to sour them. God, use us this week to walk in wisdom. Use us to be ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the Son of God would be glorified. Thank you for every person that has given time, effort, energy just to get to this point. Thank you for those who will serve in any capacity. God, we're going to give you praise. Strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. And you go back to your seats. Would you just give the Lord Jesus a hand of praise this morning and thank Him for His goodness. Amen. If you return to your seats, you can be seated. Y'all hold just a minute there, Jason Ray. Give me just a minute before we get our ushers up. Just be seated if you would. But one thing I would like to do, Carrie, is all of our uh, servants, I say everybody's a servant, whether you're a director, a crew leader, uh, you know, uh, a snack maker, which are my favorite people. I mean, I, you know, and the chicken nuggets and the pizza people. I mean, whether you're helping with children, helping clean up, or whatever you're doing, helping with music, or I mean, the mission stories, the Bible stories, whatever part you have, if you're serving in any capacity of Vacation Bible School this week, would you just give us the honor, just having a chance to honor you, but would you stand any capacity, every person, any capacity of Vacation Bible School, registration, uh, disciplinary codes, or whatever, no, no, okay. look here, let's give these folks a good hand, they're going to be serving Bible School this week, thank y'all, thank y'all. Now I will say to you, if you'd still like to serve, Carrie, I bet you're still taking volunteers, huh? Okay, Miss Carrie's right here. But talk to her on today on your way out, and she will be glad to talk to you and tell you where my areas of need. And uh, like I said, we've you know we've never. I, I told my daughter in Brooke when she was going to JSU that that's what it stood for, just show up. But anyhow, anyhow, that was a problem when I first went there. I didn't show up enough. But anyhow. It doesn't work very well, but uh, showing up does make a difference. But here, you can show up, and I guarantee you, we've never turned anybody away as willing to serve because we just are grateful to God for all that he's done for us. Okay, boys, y'all come ahead. I say, boys, these are some much mighty men right here. Uh, Jason and Ray and Glenn and Michael are going to be receiving our offering today. And as we give today, always remember that the tithe is holy unto the Lord. You know, and what's neat is, is I made it all the way through the first part of verse 5. So that means we pick up next time, next week, in the end of verse 5, and we'll finish verse 6. And Lord willing, by the uh, 4th of July week, we'll close out our study of Colossians. I tell you, what a wonderful book about the preeminence of Jesus Christ and how important he is. So when you give today, here's what you're saying. Lord, I, I want to be right with you. I'm dependent upon you. 
and you direct every area of my life because what I talked about in 1 Timothy where Paul said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil that's one of the ways Satan will attack you or he'll attack you in that area and I want you to know I'm like Adrian Rogers I'm not in the business of raising funds I'm in the business of raising God's children amen and as a child you know of God you learn your dependence on him not your independence your total dependence so as we give today, this is a way we are a church that is beyond the walls, is reaching people, teaching people, loving people, serving people, and making a difference for the kingdom. Amen? So let's join our hearts together and let's ask God's blessings on our giving. Father, we come to you, Lord. Thank you for all you've been blessing. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, God, that we, we heard here today. Father, I pray, Lord, that we just allow God to, to apply to our lives, Father, that we might go out and make a difference for you, Lord. I pray your costume ready for tonight is it a surprise okay okay just play. he might start off with a Richard Simmons one I don't know but anyway. it's always a crowd favorite uh, but anyhow uh, it's gonna be a great week and I encourage you to uh, pray much serve hard and just make a difference this week and just know that I love you and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it I when I look out of here just a moment ago, it brings a smile to my face just thinking about how I prayed for you this week. I've asked God to use you wherever you are, and I just want you to know you matter. Amen? People need to know they matter, and I want you to know you matter, and you're prayed for, you're loved, and there's nothing you can do about it. Let's stand together. Marty, you're going to sing us out. Fun starts at 6 tonight. Let's look.
lift our voice.